So we are still in Ephesians chapter number 1. We got through verse number 9 last time, so we will pick up in verse number 10. So just as a quick recap, he's, uh, Paul is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, he said, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood." the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And that word prudence means purpose, uh, a plan. And then verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in His heart. And we talked about the reason why that uh, God made the plan and the reason why Christ gave His life was because he wanted to, because that's who he is. He is a, a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy. And uh, that's what he did for us. And he did it not because we deserve it, not because uh, we earned it, but simply because he chose to. So now we get into verse number 10, talking about how that He's made known unto us the mystery of His will, and that was according to His good pleasure. It says, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. So as you can see, this is just a continuation of verse 9. So He talks about how that uh, he did it according to his good pleasure, that he purposed it in his heart. And then why? So that in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Now, when we break that down, that word dispensation means a plan. If we think about, um, if we make a budget for our home, and we say, this is how much money is coming in. This is how much we can spend for the house payment, the car payment, insurance. Here's what we have for food. This is what we have left over to put in the savings account to go on vacation. So we make a budget and we try to stay in that budget. So that's an example of what Paul is talking about here. That talking about the dispensation is the actual functioning of the budget. Sticking to that budget. Working the plan, so to speak. So what he's saying is, is that he did all this and he purposed it in himself. It was according to his pleasure, it was his will, that through the working of that, through the dispensation and then the fullness of times. And that phrase, fullness of times, means the uh, completion. So as God works the plan and then we come to the fullness of times. That's when the plan of the gospel of salvation becomes complete. So God's working the plan today. And then someday there's going to be a fullness of times. When Jesus Christ steps out on the clouds and he, the rapture happens and calls us home. That's what he's talking about right here. That's the fullness of time. When the, when the plan comes together and when the plan has seen, uh, has run its, its full course. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when God's plan runs its course and, we've, and he sticks to the budget and we get to the end of the month and we actually have money left over as we work our budget? So when it says here that uh, in that dispensation of the plan is the working of the plan, the fullness of times, what is he going to do? 
that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. So he's going to gather it all together in one place, in one time. There's not going to be a heaven for the Jews and a heaven for the Gentiles. There's not going to be a heaven for Hispanics and a heaven for Asian people and a heaven for white people. We're all going to be there together. We're all going to be in one place of the ones in heaven, the ones that have already went on, and then of the ones on earth, the ones that are going to get raptured out. Uh, we know the scripture that says that uh, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trump will sound. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up, to, or the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what he's talking about right here. That in the fullness of times, he's going to gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and earth, even in him. Now, in Revelation 21, uh, John, he saw this. Verse 1 through 3, he said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's what Paul's talking about right here. Paul, see, we think John in Revelation was the one that was given the revelation and saw the future. Paul's talking the exact same words right here. Paul saw the future too because Jesus Christ told Paul. The Holy Spirit of God showed that to Paul, that this is what's going to happen in the end times, the fullness of times. And friends, we are closer today than we ever have been as we see the world. We see what's going on in the world. We, see, we hear uh, uh, what's happening in the world. And it all points uh, right in line with what the Scripture uh, talks about. Then we see in verse 11, he's talking about the rapture here in verse number 10. And us being together in the new heaven and the new earth uh, with God. And then in verse 11, he said, in whom. Now, who's he talking about in whom? He's talking about Jesus Christ. So we got to remember that any, uh, just about any time Paul's speaking... He's speaking about Jesus Christ. He rarely speaks about anything else. But as we see, uh, verse 1 down through verse number 10, the subject matter is uh, Jesus Christ. He said, In whom in Jesus also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know, Things that show up in God's Word are really, really important. But then when we look at Scripture and we see a recurring theme, we, we see things being repeated over and over again in the same chapter, in the same book, in different books, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. You see, everything in Scripture is critically important. If it's said one time, it's important. But if it's said multiple times... That's reinforcing the important. It makes it even greater importance 
when it's said over and over again. And it's almost like Paul is continuing to repeat himself. He says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Now, he didn't say that one day we're going to get an inheritance. He said, we've obtained it. We have it now. It's not in my hand, but we're going to have it. So if we think about an inheritance, first of all, I want us to think about uh, if, if um, God forbid a family member, a loved one passed away and in their will they left an inheritance. Let's say they, they left a family farm or they left uh, a bank account of money or they left a life insurance policy. What did you do to deserve that inheritance? Maybe you were nice to them and everybody else was mean to them. That's why Uncle Johnny left it to you instead of, instead of his own kids or whatever. But really, did, did you earn it? You didn't work to earn that money. You didn't work to earn that farm. You didn't work to earn whatever that is that they left you. It's an inheritance. It's from their good pleasure. It was something they earned. It was something they built. It was something that they bought and paid for. You are just on the receiving end of it. So that's what he's talking about here. We have obtained an inheritance. So let's uh, think about this example. If you have a person who is, is really wealthy and they have a 14-year-old child and they leave everything they have to that 14-year-old child, but it's in a trust that that child can't touch until they're 21. They have the inheritance. It's theirs. They can't get it yet, not until they're 21. See, our inheritance is sealed. We have it. We won't get that inheritance until we close our eyes in death or until the Lord comes back in the clouds to rapture us out of here. But the inheritance is guaranteed. We have it. We've obtained. He didn't say we will obtain. He said we have obtained an inheritance. Past tense. We've already got it. The moment that you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received the inheritance of a child of God. Then he goes on and he starts talking about this predestination again. He says, being predestinated according to what? The purpose of him who worketh all things. So why did, why did, it, did God predestinate the plan of salvation? Why did he predestinate that he was going to give us an inheritance? And we, when we accepted him as our Savior, we would get that inheritance. It's according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Exactly what he was talking about in verse number 9. It was according to his good pleasure that he purposed in himself. It was because God wanted to. Not because I deserved it, not because you deserved it, not because we earned it, not because um, that we're smarter than everybody else. It was simply because he wanted to. That's why we have the inheritance. That's why he wrote it down, for example, in his will, that it's according to his will that we have obtained uh, the inheritance. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That lively hope is a living hope, an existing hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away and is reserved in heaven for you. So these folks that mean well, that say that you can lose your salvation, uh, they got to read 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. Because he said that we have obtained an inheritance, that it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you and for me, for those that have been saved. So it's according to his will. He answers the question again. It's because he chose to. It's because he wants to. I'm glad that God didn't say, Terry, it's up to you to get to heaven. Because I mess up every day. If it was up to me, I'd be in trouble. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when it comes dinner time at the house. If it's up to me, we're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. If it's left up to me. Now, if it's up to my wife, she is a miracle worker. She can, she can go in there and pull something out of that refrigerator and beat and bang on the stove a little bit. And then I go in there and there's steak and baked potato and, and uh, macaroni and cheese and all this wonderful thing. And I tell you, I would rather sit at the house and eat her cooking. There's not a restaurant in Kingsport, Bristol, or Johnson City that can even compare to what she does in that kitchen. She doesn't think it's special, but I think it's the greatest thing in the world. There, it can't compare. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that he does it because he wants to. That's who he is, and that's what he does. He chooses to. Now we get into verse number 12. So why did he do all this? Why did he predestinate us according to the purpose of his will? Why did he give us an inheritance? Why did he... Uh, put forth the plan of salvation and through working that plan, the dispensation that we might be gathered together in Christ, all things in heaven and earth. Verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. There's the second time we see this. We also saw it in verse number six. He said, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Why did God save me? He saved me because that gives him glory. <laughs> that's, that's why he did it. Not because I deserved it, because he wanted to. And it's for the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So we got to trust in Christ and that brings glory to God. Listen, my actions can sometimes bring glory to God. My actions sometimes can, can bring disgrace to God. But the fact that my sins have been forgiven brings glory to God no matter what. So whether, whether I'm a good boy or a bad boy, the fact that he saved me and forgave me brings glory to his name. Even if I don't do the right thing, he still gets glory out of it. Now, I don't understand that. You may not understand that, but I'm glad it's that way. I don't, I don't understand what my wife does in the kitchen to make such good food. I'm just glad it's that way. 
That's the same way I look at salvation. I don't have to understand it to believe it, to trust in it, and to reap the benefits of it. Now we get into verse number 13. He says, in whom, once again, who's he talking about when he says in whom? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 13, Paul lays out an outline for the simple plan of salvation. So if you weren't clear about salvation, Paul's going to make it clear to us right here in verse number 13. He said, In whom, in Jesus, you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in Jesus, also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This verse right here ought to make us want to shout. It ought to make us want to get up and run around the church on the outside, uh, you know, barefoot in the snow. Because of what it says, if we think about it, Paul lays out the simple plan of salvation, redemption, and reconciliation that he's talked about from verse 1 all the way down to verse number 12. And what is it? First of all, he says, we trusted after we heard the word of truth. First thing, we have to hear the gospel. That's first thing. People don't go to heaven because they turned over a new leaf and they decided to be better than they were before. They don't go to heaven because they were a good husband or a good son or daughter or a good wife or a good neighbor. We have to hear the word of God. So it's, and when we think about hearing the word of God, uh, we have to understand that in Romans chapter 1, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 10, 13. But then he goes on to say, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? That's what we're going back to here where he says that we trusted after we heard the word of truth. They've got to hear the gospel preached. They've got to hear it. That's the way, that's the power of salvation. It's through the foolishness of preaching. You know, the world will look at me and Gary and Greg and the rest of us, and we get up there and we get carried away. And, uh, you know, Gary uh, runs around on stage with a sword and, and all these other things and, and, and gets stirred up. And then sometimes we cry and sometimes we talk quiet. Sometimes we get loud. And somebody that's out in the world that's not a, a Christian and is, not a, is, is maybe an atheist, they look at that and they say, look at them fools. They're up there hollering and screaming and talking about, you know, what's going to happen after they die. That's silliness. To, that's foolishness to them. But we know that that is the power of God because that's where salvation comes from. Not from me because I preached a message, but it's through the message of the gospel of salvation. That's where it comes. And that's what Paul laid out right here. He said we have to trust him. We don't trust him until after we heard the word of truth. 
So we hear the gospel, then we trust in Christ. Then he goes on to say, he says, the gospel of your salvation, the good news. We're talking about the plan that he predestinated, the thing that he put in, in the dispensation, the work that is, that is happening and we're following the plan. He said, that is the gospel of your salvation in whom, here's this in whom again. You see, in case we were getting sidetracked, Paul keeps reminding us that it's Jesus. It's not him, it's not me, it's not you, it's not the Baptist church, it's not the Methodist church, it's not the Roman Catholic church, it's Jesus Christ. That's where it is. So he just keeps, I love, when you read Paul's writing, if you just slow down a little bit and look at it, I should have counted it how many times he said in whom uh, in this chapter. I can see in whom in verse number 7. Uh, I can see it in verse number 11. I can see it in verse number 13. Uh, he says it twice in verse number 13 because here in the middle of the verse he says, In whom again, in whom also after that ye believed. So we have to hear the gospel. We have to trust Christ and we have to believe in Christ and then we accept Him as our Savior and He takes away our sins and forgiveness and He makes us a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And then what happens? He says, after you heard the word of truth, you believe, or you trusted the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed. What happens then? This is the best part of the whole verse. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. So the, the, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what in the world does sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise mean? Well, promise, that's that inheritance that he talked about. See, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. So that word sealed means to, to stamp or to preserve. When we seal something, we completely close it tightly. We secure it. We seal it. So what did Paul say? He said, we hear the gospel. We trust in Christ. We believe in Christ. And at that point, he seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. And what's that promise? John 14, 16 through 18. Jesus Christ said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you until you sin. That he may abide with you until you miss church. That he may abide with you until you do something wrong. That he may abide with you until you put on the wrong kind of clothes or think the wrong thought. No, that's not what he said. That's not what Jesus said. He said, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in, that's a one-way trip. There is no getting out. What was that... Uh, commercial that was on several years ago uh, roaches check in but they don't check out that's a one way trip they go in they don't ever come out they're in there and that's, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit said you're mine now try to get out 
What can separate us from the love of God? Principalities, power, height, neither height nor depth, neither any other thing, nothing above, nothing below. What can separate us? Nothing. Because the Holy Spirit, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit forever. And then in verse number 17, he says, even the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But listen to this. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. And then Jesus goes on to say, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Aren't you glad I didn't have to go try to find God? <laughs> I'm just walking around happy in my sin. One day the Holy Spirit showed up and said, hey. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> he said, let me tell you something. I heard some guy preach and I, the Holy Spirit of God convicted my heart. And then when I accepted Christ, he moved in and he's never moved out. He, listen, he didn't, he's not living out of a suitcase. See, sometimes when, when we travel, we'll go to a hotel. And I always thought it was funny when I watch these movies and these shows. People check into a hotel and they open up their suit. And maybe you do this and I'm not making fun of you if you do. But I never understood why people open up their suitcase and open the drawers and they're putting their clothes in the drawer. Like you check it out tomorrow. What are you, what are you putting clothes in the drawer for? I just open my suitcase and leave it sitting over on that little rack. And when I need something, I walk over and get it out. Then when I leave, I just shut it and pick it up and we're good to get yeah, But see, what, what the Holy Spirit did, he's not living out of a suitcase. He moved in, he threw the suitcase away. He's there to stay. It's permanent. Because he said, Jesus Christ said, the comforter would be with you and he will abide with you forever. Now, so what is the Holy Spirit? He's the thing that seals us. He's the thing that guarantees us. He's the thing that keeps us. He's the thing that completely closes and secures us. But then it gets even better. If that wasn't good enough, verse 14 gets even better. Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit now. He's talking about that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We've been promised from God, the Holy Spirit. And he says when that Holy Spirit comes, that promised spirit moves in to our hearts and we are sealed. Then, I love verse 14. He said, the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And then for the third time, he says, unto the praise of his glory. <laughs> so why are we sealed with the Holy Spirit? Because that gives glory to God. Why are we kept by the Holy Spirit even though that we're in sinful flesh and we still think things wrong and do things wrong and make mistakes and fall on our face? Because that brings glory to God. The fact that He keeps us saved even in spite of me, He keeps me saved in spite of me. That brings glory to Him. He's got so much grace that even if I do wrong, He's not going to throw me out of the house. And... If any of us have been parents, we've probably done the same thing. When my son was five years old and, didn't and disobeyed me, I didn't kick him out of the house. I may have sent him to his room and gave him a time out. I may have spanked him, but you know something? He still ate. 
He still had, he still had clothes. He still had a comfortable bed to lay in. He, he still had heat in the wintertime and air conditioning in the summertime. Even though he did wrong and even though I was punishing him, I still loved him enough to feed him and clothe him and hug him and forgive him. And God's love is a thousand times greater for us than my love for my son. But here's the best part of verse number 14. He says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Now, what in the world is earnest? Anybody ever bought a house? When you sign a contract on the house, you put down some earnest money. Now, that earnest money, what it is, that is a portion of something that's given in advance as a pledge of the remainder. Your reason why you put down $1,000 of earnest money is you're telling the seller, I signed this contract and I mean it. Here's part of the purchase price in advance. Now, what happens if I decide I don't want to buy this house and I back out of the deal? The seller keeps my money. That earnest money's gone. I don't get it back. So if God backs out of this deal, he loses the Holy Spirit because he's the earnest. And you think God's going to give away part of the Trinity? No, no, no. He said it's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What he's saying here is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the same as earnest money when signing a contract on a house. It's a part of the purchase price and a guarantee that the purchase will be completed. That's the guarantee. I guarantee you I'm going to go through with this contract. Here's part of the money in advance. And if I decide, if I change my mind, you get to keep it. The Holy Spirit of God is, 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 the Holy Spirit is God's earnest money. He says... You're going to be so confident that you're saved, I'm going to give you a part of me to live in you. And I'm not going to change my mind. So what is it? It's the earnest of our inheritance until when? Until the redemption of the... Until the contract is fulfilled. And what's the contract? The contract is, as we read before, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and we're going to be with God forever. That's the contract. And the Holy Spirit is the earnest money, the down payment, the guarantee that it's going to come to pass, and we can feel Him. He lives in our heart, and it is the down payment. Uh, God gave us the Holy Spirit as the earnest money until He closes the deal at the rapture. You see, you're, if you've been born again, if you've been saved and born again, you are just as assured for heaven as if you were already there. It's guaranteed. There is no getting out of it. God's put down uh, the down payment, the earnest money, and he's going to cash that in someday. So why did he do all that? Why did he save me in spite of me? And why does he keep me in spite of me? And why is my inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away? Why is that? Well, we see at the end of verse number 14, why? He says it for a third time in this chapter. Unto the praise of his glory. So listen, if things didn't go my way today, I still have an obligation to praise God. 
because he saved me. He forgave me and he washed away all my sins. And he even went a step further than that. He keeps me even though I'm not perfect and even though I'm still sinful flesh. And he has guaranteed me entrance into heaven. And he's given me the Holy Spirit of God as a down payment of his goodwill. And he has promised me right here from the Apostle Paul that he's going to come back someday and he's going to take us home and we're going to be with him in heaven forever and ever and he gets praise for that even if I'm having a bad day. Now we can see why they got up in the, in the uh, jail when they've been beaten and they got up and they said, boys, let's sing praises unto God. And they started singing and they started praising God. Why? Because they were beaten and thrown in jail? That ain't why they were praising God. They were praising God because even though they were beaten and bloody and thrown in jail, He still loved them and He guaranteed them that they were going to be in heaven just as sure as they were already there. And sometimes we have to get a little bloody down here. Sometimes we have to face troubles and trials and problems and it's not always pleasant. But even in the midst of that, we can say, this too shall pass, and I will stand before Almighty God under the arm of the, bride, or the bridegroom and live forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. Not because I deserve it, but because He chose to, and He promised it. Okay, so we will... Wrap up right there in verse number 14, and we'll pick up in verse number 15 next time.